Good morning. In a CNN interview, Tia Coleman said that it was a sunny day when her husband and three children and five other family members set sail on Table Rock Lake in Branson, Missouri. The family was excited about a new adventure riding on an old military duck boat. But shortly after crossing the midpoint of the lake, the weather took a turn for the worse. And the waves began splashing in the boat. Tia said at first they were thankful for the water because it was hot outside. But her thanksgiving soon turned to horror when the waves poured over the front of the boat where she and her two children were seated. Then all of a sudden, Tia said she was completely engulfed in water. Her first instinct as a mom was to reach for her children but she said she couldn't find them. She said the water kept getting darker and darker and colder and colder as the boat sank. She felt someone push her foot and found herself free of the boat. She vigorously tried to swim to the top, but said that she would go nowhere. At this point, Tia said that she prayed to the Lord. If she couldn't find her babies, then it was okay for her to go to. And so she surrendered herself to the water, thinking this was the end of her life here on earth. And then after surrendering, she said she started to float. And the water around her started getting warmer and warmer. And then all of a sudden she realized that she was at the surface. She reached up and the water splashed over her. She was gasping for air. And she kept screaming, someone throw me a life jacket. If I can get a life jacket, then maybe, just maybe, I can save my babies. But every time she reached for one, the waves would knock her back. And then she said she felt someone pulling her up onto the riverboat. And after catching her breath, she looked around. She was happy to see her nephew come running up to her, but her husband and her children were not on board. And then after arriving at the hospital, she was informed that she and her nephew were the only two of her 11 family members that survived the accident. The reporter asked her in the midst of such incredible heartache and despair, how would she be able to go on? And with tears streaming down her face, She paused and said, the Lord and the support of others would get her through all of this. Now, as I thought about Tia's story, my heart breaks for her, her family members and all those that lost loved ones that day. And since this happened two weeks ago, I've been wondering, how does someone get up the next day? How does someone recover from the depths of despair? How does someone move from despair to a place of hope? And as I pondered these questions over these last two weeks, the Lord brought to mind the psalm that we are looking at this morning, Psalm 13. Because in this psalm, David moves from a place of despair to a place of hope. And that movement takes place in three kind of acts. The first is a cry of despair. The second is a cry for help. And the third is a realization 
of hope. And so if you have your bulletins, I encourage you to, to open them. You can look at Psalm 13 or you can look in your Bibles. And the first thing that I want us to consider is a cry of despair. You know, one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies is Home Alone. The movie is about the McAllister family. They're making a mad dash to get to the airport. And on the way to the airport, they leave Kevin, their youngest son, at the house. And when he discovers that he's home alone, at first he's excited. He's thrilled to kind of be there in the house, to be away from the family. But then robbers try to get in the house. And then he does all these adventures. And by the end, he's a little bit sad to be alone. But in general, it's kind of a happy movie about being left, being abandoned. But the truth is, being forsaken, being abandoned, being left, is a very painful place. It's a very lonely place. And this is exactly where David finds himself in Psalm 13. King David is on the run once again. And we know from 2 Samuel 15 that David's own son, Absalom, has gathered a group of fighting men to come after David to take his life. So Absalom can take the throne. And we don't know exactly how long David has been on the run, but from the fourfold repetition of the phrase, how long, it is safe to assume that David here has been alone and running for quite some time. And as the days turn to weeks and the weeks turn to months, not only does David feel betrayed by his son, he also begins to feel abandoned by God. He cries out in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? King David, who longed to see God's face and cherished his intimate relationship with the Lord, finds himself in a very unfamiliar and dark place. He is literally reaching out for God in a time of need, longing to experience God's presence and longing to hear God's voice. Yet all he hears is silence, leading him to exclaim, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David Kidner, commenting on this passage, said, David is disturbed in his deepest being. He feels abandoned by his son. And more painfully, he feels abandoned by God. And as I was thinking about this picture of despair, I couldn't help but think of the Lord of the Rings. And the last movie, The Return of the King, Frodo has carried this burden of the ring and as he and Sam are at the base of Mount Doom, Frodo is just overcome by darkness. And he begins to walk up and lava is spewing out. And as he begins to walk, he falls to the ground. And Sam picks him up and they walk a little further and he falls to the ground. And in that moment, Frodo slips away. He is in complete darkness. And Sam doesn't know what to do. And so lying on the slopes of Mount Doom, Sam asks Frodo if he can remember the Shire. And he begins talking about the green grass and the wonderful foods. But the only thing that Frodo sees is the ring and the eye of sorrow. Tullian says this. 
in his book, Frodo says, I can't recall the taste of food, nor the sound of water, nor the touch of grass. I am naked in the dark. There's nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. You see, Frodo is in utter darkness. And it appears that no one, not even his best friend in the thoughts of the Shire, can reach him. This is a picture of despair. Your energy is depleted. You've lost all hope. Everything around you is darkness. And my guess is in a room this size this morning, there are some here today that are feeling the darkness of despair There's some here today that are feeling utterly alone and powerless. There's some here today that have reached out for God only to grasp thin air and have called out to God and only hear silence. It's a horrific place. And the world, the world tells us just to to move on and tries to medicate us in this place. The church tells us To simply speak the truth. And if you hear the truth, then the despair will go away. And then Satan tells us to keep everything hidden and to ourselves. Because if we show our despair to others, they will reject us. But the beauty of Psalm 13 is that David is inviting us to cry out with our despair. And as David offers his sadness to God, he is calling us to offer our grief, our aloneness, our feelings of utter devastation and powerlessness to the Lord. I love Dan Allender's quote. He says, lament opens the heart to wrestle with God, who knows that sorrow leads to comfort and lament moves praise as sure as the crucifixion gave way. To the resurrection. And so in this psalm, if we're thinking about how do we move from despair to hope, David teaches us first we must give ourselves permission to cry, to cry our despair out. And then secondly, David tells us that we need to cry for help. Part of our work from despair to hope, is giving ourselves permission to grieve. And I know over the years that I've met with clients, part of the challenge, they come in with a presenting problem and I talk with them and they try to fix that problem, but underneath the problem is really grief. And that grief is leading to despair. And so part of the tension and the challenge is to get them to grieve. And usually that leads to some catharsis and cathartic, you know, crying and weeping in the session and for weeks. And that brings some sense of relief. And they think that their work is done. But I know, and they soon find out, that no, that's only the beginning. Because not only do we cry our despair, but we also have to cry out to God for help. And as we look at Psalm 13, this is exactly what David does. In verses 3 and 4, David cries for help. He says, consider 
and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In the Hebrew, David here uses three imperatives, three commands. He's basically commanding God. He's saying, consider me, answer me, light up my eyes. David is petitioning to God. He isn't simply saying half-heartedly, you know, if you think about it, if you want to, God, maybe you could help me. No, he is desperate and he is crying out his despair and asking God to deliver him. And not only deliver him from Absalom's pursuit, but I think more importantly, David here is crying to God saying, please let me see you again. Let me experience intimacy with you. Open my eyes anew and afresh so that I may gaze upon the glory of God again. Restore my intimacy. Because then and only then I will be delivered from the darkness that is all around me and stand in God's glorious light. And so I wonder this morning, for those of us who might be feeling despair or lack of hope, will you cry out this morning to God? Will you ask Him? Will you command Him to come and to rescue you from the darkness That's all around him. Will you like Tia Coleman lift your hands up amidst the waves and scream for help? And let me pause here for a moment because some of you in this room are thinking, I don't feel despair right now. And I'm grateful that you're not feeling despair. And you're thinking, you know, I'll just save this sermon for another day, right? But I believe David's words here are also words to you. Because even though you're doing okay, David here is calling you and I to come alongside of those brothers and sisters that are here in this room or neighbors or family members that are struggling with despair this morning. And he's asking you, will you come not to fix their despair or even to take their despair away, but to walk with them in the midst of their despair? The scene that I mentioned earlier about Frodo and Sam. Sam literally is is beyond himself. Everything he's tried to help Frodo isn't working. And Frodo's slipping away. And I love what Sam tells Frodo. He says, I cannot carry the ring for you. I cannot carry your desire. Just like we cannot take away another person's desire. But then Sam says, I can carry you. And he proceeds to pick Frodo up and then struggling up Mount Doom, he takes him to the top where he's able to release the ring into the fire. This is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. That those of us who are in despair are laying on the ground and there's nothing that we can do other than to cry out to God for help. But those of us that are not in despair are called to come alongside our brothers and sisters to whisper words of hope, to not try to fix them. Someday we're going to we're going to look at Job and all the stupid things his friends say to him in the midst of despair. 
Because we all fall into that. Believe me, I have fallen into that trap of, of telling people who are in darkness, oh, you'll get over it, or just reading Scripture and say, just believe this. No. It has to be an act of God. And yes, He'll use God's Word to bring hope. But more importantly, is your presence with that person, putting your arms around them and walking with them step by step. And so this morning, as we think about going from despair to hope, first, we cry out with our despair. Secondly, we cry to God for help. And those of us who are not in despair come alongside of those who are in despair and walk with them. And then thirdly, we see in this psalm a realization of hope. Healing and restoration are a process. And Michael talked about this earlier. Oftentimes, there's despair and hope, and they're hand in hand. One's in my left hand, one's in my right hand. And you're, you're right there. It's a process, and you flip back and forth, back and forth. The psalm is a reminder of this process. But as we walk with one another, as we continue to pray, the darkness of the night will turn to morning and light of day will come. And this is exactly what happens during the last movement of the psalm. In verses 5 through 6, you'll see a shift has occurred. David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, King David begins to see that it's not the quality of his faith that matters. It's the object of his faith. If you or I are falling from a cliff and you see a branch and you reach out and you grab the tree limb. It doesn't matter how much you believe whether or not that tree limb will hold you. It doesn't matter at all. What you believe, what matters is whether or not the tree limb is strong enough to actually hold you. And David here is reminding us that the limb is strong. God is strong. David remembers God's covenant promises. And the word in Hebrew here is hesed, God's covenant kindness to us. The kindness that saved Noah and his family from the flood. The kindness that told Abraham that God was going to establish his kingdom through his lineage. The kindness that delivered Moses and the Israelites from the bonds of slavery. God's kindness that is full of love and full of power. He is the one who delivered all those who have gone before him. He is the king of the kings and the Lord of lords. And we can put our trust in him. And no matter how much we trust him, it doesn't really matter. Because he is willing and able to hold us up and to deliver us. From despair. You see, Christ was forsaken on the cross so that those of us who profess faith in him will never, ever be forsaken. One of my favorite verses is Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God will bring light in the midst of darkness. He will restore your joy. He will lift our eyes so that we might sing to the Lord and experience, as David writes here, experience the bounty of God's 
grace and mercy. Tia Coleman buried her three children this weekend. She buried her husband and she buried five other family members. She's experienced the depths of darkness that I hope no one in this room ever, ever has to experience. But Tia loves the Lord. She's crying for help and she's letting others carry her. And I believe with all my heart that one day, maybe in a week or a month, Tia will wake up and know there will be grief, there will be joy, and there will be hope. And God will carry her. And likewise, for all of us who are struggling with despair, God will lift you up. Cry out to Him. Ask Him for help. Come alongside brothers and sisters who are struggling and know that the burst of hope will come. The night is only for a night. The darkness only for a season. But in the morning, light will come. Amen.